0: It's a world first. MPs have voted in favour of making Britain the first country in the world to permit IVF babies to be created using biological material from three different people to help prevent serious genetic diseases. The House of Commons voted to allow mitochondrial donation through a controversial amendment to the 2008 Human Fertilisation and Embryology Act, the HFEA. The regulations will now have to be approved in the House of Lords where they are likely to be passed. I spoke with Julian Huppert, MP for Cambridge, who spoke at the House of Commons in favour of the motion.
1: Today the House of Commons had to decide whether to allow the HFEA to make regulations about mitochondrial replacement therapy or mitochondrial donation as it's also known and this is a very important procedure for um, trying to avoid uh, children getting mitochondrial diseases. these are an awful range of diseases where basically cells stop working people get deafness blindness seizures uh, almost you name it they might get it and this offers the possibility that we'll be able to stop these from happening in the end we won by about three to one uh, which was hugely encouraging Um, It was a fairly catchy debate, I think. I mean, there there were a number of people who argued strongly against it. Um, But, you know, in my view, the right side won. Um, It was a free vote. But I and one or two others played the role of sort of trying to encourage people the right way. It was quite fun standing at the entrance to the lobbies where people rush up trying to work out which corridor to go to, to hear people saying, so, which way for science?
0: So it's thought that about 150 children are born each year in the UK alone with mitochondrial disorders. At what point will this change in regulation possibly have effect on on these children and also the parents, the 2,500 parents that are thought to be um, carrying these types of disorders in their genes?
1: Um, it, it's not entirely clear when the first actual procedures would happen, probably in about a year or two. What this allows the HFEA to do is to go ahead with regulations around it because currently... Um, When when the law that surrounds this was written, um, a whole lot of things weren't allowed, some things were. And this was written as a, this is not allowed unless Parliament says it can be. Um, So it was already envisaged in 2008 uh, that this might be something we'd want to do. So this will now allow actual trials in humans. uh, And assuming that all works, we would then start to see it eventually, presumably, as a fairly standard uh, uh, service for people.
0: And this is a very special case, isn't it, with the mitochondrial um, genome because the mitochondria only contains about 37 genes of the 20,000 genes that our nuclei contain. So it's only 0.1% of our genome. So is it...
1: Yeah, it's about it's 1,000, about yeah.
0: What kind of effect, if any, might this uh, change in regulation have to the majority of people in the UK?
1: I mean, for most people in the UK, this will make no difference at all because most people don't have any issues with, with their mitochondria. We're, we're mostly very fortunate that mitochondria work very well. Um, So it won't won't have any consequences, but it will have a huge consequence for a small number of people.
0: And some people say that this change in regulation might open the gateway to the creation of designer babies in the future. What do you think about that?
1: I I think that's a a fairly silly argument, to be honest. Um, Mitochondrial DNA is very, very different from nuclear DNA. It has a very, very different history. Uh, Endosymbiotic theory um, suggests that it was actually from another bacterium that uh, our original cells engulfed. Um, so it's a very, very different DNA. It actually has a slightly different genetic code even. Um, and it's codes for very, very specific functions. So changing the mitochondria is very different from trying to design any other features for which you would need to adjust the nuclear DNA. So I know people always make slippery slope arguments, but I really think this slope is far from slippery.
0: And also, um, in terms of people calling this a three-parent child that would be emerging um, as a result of these things, what do you think about that?
1: I I think that's a a very bizarre phrase. Uh, I mean, firstly, if you look at the numbers and the amount of DNA from each person, it's more like a 2.001 parent child. Uh, I guess that's not quite as catchy. But also, if you think about it, people who've had... Um, a transplant or blood transfusions, there's DNA going around in them from more than two parents anyway. But nobody would call them a four-parent human or a six-parent human or whatever it might be.
0: And why do you think that that the UK is really leading the way in this? Because this is the world first, isn't it, for accepting this type of um, technology?
1: Um, uh, It's very simple because the UK um, has so much prowess in science and we lead in many areas. I'm delighted that this area of biomedicine is an area that we do lead the world on. It was funny, we had uh, a number of people during the debate arguing against this, saying, we shouldn't do this because we'd be the first country to do it. Um, actually, one of the great things about Britain is that we have been the first people to do a whole lot of things. Uh, it would be really frustrating if we said, you know, well, Newton shouldn't really have created his prisms and done so his work because he was the first person to do it. Um, Actually, we should be very proud that we're the first people to do this, particularly given that we have such a well-developed ethical framework uh, and regulatory framework uh, to keep an eye on what's going on.
0: Some people who uh, oppose the idea of um, mitochondrial regulation changes suggest that we don't know enough about how the mitochondrial genome and the nuclear genome interact um, and the potential implications for people's sense of reality, for example, or the the way that they interact with other people and um, the world. What do you think about that?
1: Um, I found it fascinating how many arguments people have come up with, uh, which really consisted in saying, I don't want this to happen, and then looking around for a reason why it shouldn't happen. Because um, we did have those arguments, but they were, I think, uniformly from, as it happens, Catholics, um, whose real objection is the fact they don't think we should be doing this sort of, Uh, work with an ovum or with an embryo. And that's a legitimate philosophical, ethical position to have. But I think it's a shame when people wrap it up in sort of pseudo-scientific arguments instead. Um, I'd much rather they were just honest and gave the real reason why they oppose it. In this case, we had a lot of people point out all sorts of things, quite rightly, that we cannot be certain what will happen. And that's entirely true. But we cannot be certain of what will happen to a new cancer treatment in 15 years Mm -hmm. without trying it in a human. We can't be certain what will happen to the offspring of IVF children until you have them. You cannot be absolutely certain what will happen with this until you actually try it in a human. And that's what this vote and these regulations will allow. We'll be able to try it. If it doesn't work, if there are problems, then of course we should stop.
0: So what do you think about the people that are suggesting that actually they, those people that have got genetic impairments, whether it's in their mitochondria or they've genetically predisposed to um, not, become fer- not be fertile in the first place, that they shouldn't be trying to mess around using those techniques. And instead, they should be trying to, I don't know, foster or adopt or help solve the problem that we have an overpopulated planet as it is.
1: Um, I mean, obviously, that is an option uh, that somebody might want to consider if they do have uh, the risk of passing on mitochondrial diseases. They may decide, actually, I don't want to have a child. I'm prepared to to adopt. Um, But I don't think we should be forcing people to when we have the possibility of finding an alternative option and an alternative solution. Um, I just don't think it is ethically right to impose that on people if we don't have to.
0: So I believe that you're one of the the few MPs um, who have a background in science.
1: Yeah, there's two of us with a science PhD. I'm the only one who went on to do any research. Um, but there are others who have uh, various STEM qualifications in different, different ways, you know, whether they're engineers, medical doctors, or whatever it might be. Um, but we are a relatively small number.
0: So does that make this very low number of um, MPs who have a background in science and who have scientific knowledge and the ability to speak with scientific language, does that hinder quite a lot of these, these types of decisions?
1: It can be a real problem in some of the debates. Um, now, of course, it's not about actually having a science degree or a PhD or anything like that. My expertise in four-stranded G quadruplex DNA structures very rarely comes up as a subject of a debate. It's about being comfortable with science, with the scientific method, with being able to talk to scientists and understanding what they say. We have a relatively small number of people who who really get it, uh, scientists and non-scientists. We have a lot of people who are slightly scared of science, in a sense, that they drop science very early before their A-level. They've never really got into it. They find it just a bit of a tricky ground, the whole two-cultures space. And sadly, there are a few who are actively anti-science, who almost pride and take a delight in um, speaking against whatever science is saying.